At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day. It is my great privilege uh, to bring God's holy and errant word uh, to you this morning. I want to read from Mark 4, 37 through 38, a section which many of us are familiar with. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling. But he was asleep in the stern on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? This really familiar story that we've heard about the disciples in the boat as they're going across the sea when the storm comes up and the waves are crashing in on them and they're in this incredibly desperate situation about to die and Jesus is snoring away like he doesn't even care that they're about to drown. And they ask the question, don't you care? Now, it's an understandable question in their situation, is it not? It seems to make sense. (laughs) They're about to die, and Jesus is sleeping. They ask, do you care? God, Jesus, do you care? I wonder if you have ever asked that question before. God, do you care? Hello? Hello? You know, maybe you've never been in a boat about to drown, but maybe you've been in a difficult situation where you've looked up at the sky and said, God, are you even there? Do you even care what's going on with me? Maybe you've asked that question in anger. God, do you even care? Maybe you've asked it in sorrow. Maybe you've asked that question in confusion. God, do you you even care? Or if you're anything like me, you've Ask that question in all of the above. God, do you care? Now, here's what I know about people who ask that question. Again, because I've been one of them. Here's what I know about people who ask that type of question, God, do you care? You know what they are? You know what all of those people have in common? They're desperate. The disciples in the boat in that moment asking God, asking Jesus, does he care? They were absolutely desperate. And anyone in that situation, when you find yourself looking up to the heavens and saying, God, do you care? It's because you have found your place. You found yourself in a place of desperation. Are you desperate? Desperate for a solution. How am I going to get through this one? How are we going to fix this? How are we going to get through this? God, do you even care? My marriage is an absolute wreck. I'm desperate. We are financially hanging on by a thread. I'm absolutely desperate. These kids are driving me crazy. 
I'm desperate. My family is so messed up. This Thanksgiving is going to be a nightmare. I'm desperate. I'm so busy all the time. I feel stuck in a rat race. I'm desperate. Now, I might be preaching directly to you this morning. You might be here in that boat with the disciples feeling absolutely desperate and asking God, do you care? But if I'm not preaching directly to you, I'm preaching to a future you. Amen? Hello? You see, (laughs) I'm I'm a realist who wants to be an optimist, but I'm actually a pessimist. So (laughs) here's what I know. A season or a time of desperation is coming. And so this might be you this morning, um, but it might not be. But I'm telling you, this sermon is about what we do when we're desperate. What do we do when we're desperate? This text is about a desperate man. David is absolutely desperate in this text. And so what do we do when we're desperate? So that is the point of the sermon today. Now, I'm going to give you the answer. I'm going to give you the answer right up front, but you might find my answer unsatisfying. And here's why you might find my answer unsatisfying, because it's going to sound too simple. I'm going to tell you what you need to do when you are desperate. And I'm going to give you the answer. And when I say it, you're going to go, I don't think so. And here's why. Because the seasons or times of desperation are incredibly complex. Here's what I know about your messed up family situation. It's complex. Here's what I know about your father figure wounds. It's complex. Here's what I know about your messed up marriage. It's complex. Here's what I know about your faithlessness in God. It's complex. Am I right? And so I'm going to give you a very simple solution. And you're going to say, no, no, my problem is massive, complex, overbearing. And the the solution that you've given is simply too small. It's simply not complex enough to handle my complex problems. But I'm going to give you this answer based on thousands of years of a proven track record. This answer that has been given to desperate people has worked for thousands of years. It has a proven track record, meaning people have been doing this when they are desperate for a very, very long time. Here's the answer. You ready? No one is. Okay, we'll wait. Here's the answer. You ready? Psalm 56, 1 through 4. Be gracious to me, O God. For man tramples on me all day long, an attacker oppresses me, my enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. Does that sound desperate to you? That sounds pretty desperate. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me. Here's what he says. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? You see, church family, it is the simplicity of it that makes it so powerful. What do we do when we're desperate? We trust in God. Don't let that go past you. Don't, Don't dismiss it because your problems are so complex. I'm telling you, it's the simplicity of this answer that makes it so incredibly powerful. When you are in a season or a place of desperation, put your trust in God. 
Trust him. What does it mean to trust in God? Well, it means that you don't depend on yourself. Trusting in the Lord is the opposite of trusting in yourself. Practically, it means you take no steps forward, come to no resolutions until you have sought the Lord in word and prayer. It means that you are hanging on to God through his scripture and through, his, and through prayer and through his church body. That's what it means to trust in the Lord. If you're taking notes, trust in the Lord. This solution has worked in the most desperate of situations. Therefore, it can work in yours. It, this solution has worked in the most desperate of situations. Therefore, it can, it can work in yours. As you know, we've been traveling through the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, that's what we do as a church. We travel through books of the Bible, verse by verse, line by line. We find ourselves today in 1 Samuel chapter 21. And uh, the people have asked for a king like the nations. And so the nation has uh, chosen and selected a king named Saul. And Saul started out really good. He started out winning battles. Things were going really great. Uh, But then Saul disobeyed and When he did this, God told him that he was no longer going to be king, and God appointed another king, a little shepherd boy, a little giant-slaying shepherd boy named David. Now, where we find ourselves in the text today is this. Many years have passed since the little shepherd boy was there. There was the, the slaying of the giant. He is appointed into Saul's court, and then time passes. He's much older now, but... David has not officially been given the throne yet. He's anointed king. He has not officially taken the throne. And Saul is still king. And what's happening is Saul is doing everything he can to stop David from taking over the kingdom. Today in our text, David is a fugitive. He's on the run. David has no food. David has no protection and nowhere to go. David is desperate. That's absolutely where he is. So today's text on the surface is about a man who is desperate, but working behind the scenes is a God who is worthy of this desperate man's trust. Let's go to God's holy word, 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 1. Then David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech came to meet David trembling and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with the matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. So David, after Saul has sent assassins to kill him, uh, well, first he threw a spear at his head. Second, he sent assassins after him. He escaped, and then Saul sent kidnappers after him. And so Saul has uh, continually been chasing him. And verse 21, verse 1 says, Then David came to Nob. Now, uh, this is a place where the priest had set up. It used to be in Shiloh, but now they, uh, the priests have set up camp in Nob. And he comes to Ahimelech. The priest is what the text tells us. Note that after... Saul tried to kill him. He runs to the prophet Samuel. He has nowhere else to go because Saul chased him there, and then he runs to the priest. It seems like David keeps running to 
his church family. It seems like David keeps running to the people of God in his times of desperation. First, he runs to Samuel, the prophet, God's man, with the other prophets. Saul chases him there, and then he leaves there, and he goes to the priest with all the other priests, God's mediators. It seems like when David is desperate, he keeps running to God and to his people. And I wonder why we don't lean into God and lean into his church and lean into his people when we are desperate. You see, I have a tendency to do the opposite. When, when it feels like I'm in a desperate situation, you and I do, I pull back. I retreat. I close off. I know that's only me. But that's what I find myself wanting to do when, when I'm in seasons of desperation. Instead of doing what David does, running to God and to his people, I find myself pulling back. You want to know why I do that? Pride. I don't want people to know that I'm desperate. I don't want people to know that I'm weak. I don't want people to know that, that I'm not Superman. It's, it's this silly facade that I put on. Again, I know I'm only preaching to myself. If you're taking notes, it is wrongheaded to believe that to be in need means we are ultimately weak. To be in need simply means we are not God. <laughs> this is in your times of desperation, instead of retreating, instead of retracting, instead of pulling back. When, when you're hurting, when you're in pain, when it's, when it's desperate, instead of pulling back, we should run to God, run to God's people. We should take that pride that wells up that says, I don't want people to know I messed up. I don't want people to know that I don't have it together. I don't want people to know that my kids honestly are driving me crazy and I don't know what to do about it. I don't want people to know that financially we don't have it together. I don't want people to know that our marriage is an absolute wreck. And so, honey, when we get to church, you better smile and be nice. Instead of doing that, instead of believing that, that I, you know, if I show this, people are going to know that I'm weak. Of course, everybody already knows you're weak. Everybody already knows that you don't have it together. So stop playing. You play too much. We, listen, church, we, th this, is the great, um, th this is the great attack on the church. You want to know what it is? We're hypocrites. That's the great attack on the church. I mean, you, you can talk to anybody in the South who doesn't go to church. The number one reason you're going to hear, because I've, I'm, I'm telling you, I've asked a lot of people, I've talked to a lot of people. You want to know the number one reason why most people don't go to church. It's not because they have a firm atheistic foundation and can give you five reasons why God doesn't exist and the Bible isn't true. You want to know the main reason? It's because they got burned by a hypocrite at a church. That's the main reason. I'm telling you. I've been out there. I've asked. And so, so maybe we need to change the name of our church. <laughs> maybe we need to be transparent church. Amen? Yeah. I, want, I want that for gospel community. I want us to be a transparent church to where when we're in seasons and times of desperation, we're not retreating. We're not hiding. We're not pulling back. We're coming straight to the church. We're coming straight to God's people. And we're laying it on the line and saying, this is who I am. This is where I am. And I need help. I want that. I want that for a church. So David <clears throat> comes to the priest, and the priest says this, why are you alone and no one is with you? So David essentially shows up with no royal entourage. If you remember, he was a part of King Saul's court, yet he's showing up to this priest with no royal 
entourage, which signals to the priest that something is up, and apparently he's terrified. It says that he's trembling. Well, why is he terrified? Well, do you remember the last guy that sided with David? Well, that was Jonathan. Remember what Saul did to Jonathan when he found out that he had sided with David? He threw a spear at his face. Okay, so this is a good reason for Ahimelech the priest to be a little nervous when, when David shows up. Essentially, if you're friends with David, you're an enemy of Saul, and he will kill you. Now, I don't know if you guys have been reading ahead a bit, um, but in chapter 22, that's exactly what happens. Saul goes on a murderous rampage and actually has 85 priests killed because they helped David. So the priest is uh, right to be trembling. Now, so he asked him this question, why are you alone? And like, what's going on? And so here is uh, David's response. The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, let no one know anything of the matter. Uh, I'm on a secret mission. Can't tell you. Uh, You know, Jason Bourne type stuff. uh, You know, James Bond type situation. I can't give you all the details. Sorry, priest. Essentially, the priest is terrified. And so... David gives him this line to kind of smooth it over with the priest because David is desperate and needs bread and also a weapon, which is what we're going to find out in just a moment. So, so he says this, I'm, I'm on a secret mission and, and you, you, know, you need not worry. Now, the question is, uh, this is God's anointed, God's elect king, a man after God's own heart, and he just told the priest that he was on a secret mission from Saul the king. Is that true? So the question now is, did God's elect king just lie? So, uh, well, <clears throat> it, it depends, okay? So, so uh, in preparation for sermons, I read a lot of commentaries, okay? I've got like five or six commentaries that, that I read on each text, and, and the, the commentaries kind of go back and forth over, did David lie or not? Because if he lied, it depends, listen, it depends on what king David is talking about, okay? Oh, see, okay, you guys got it. You guys got it. Okay, so if he's talking about Saul the king, if David means Saul sent him on a secret mission, that's a lie. But if David is saying, I've been sent on a secret mission by God the king, then he's not lying. Now, which is it? Maybe we could do a show of hands, but we won't do that, okay? Uh, listen, I'll let you guys make that call at lunch today, okay? Have fun talking about that at lunch. I'm not going to give you the answer. I have an opinion, but I don't know. The text isn't clear. This doesn't tell us David's motives. Is is he giving a double meaning and just allowing the priest to think something else when he's really not telling a lie? Here's what we do know, okay? We've stepped out of speculation and into, directly into, here's what we do know. What we do know is that he is absolutely desperate. In his desperation, he has either come up with some type of double meaning so that he doesn't have to technically lie, or in his desperation, he just straight up told a whopper. Okay, we, y'all know that phrase? We say that here in the South. That boy told a whopper, right? That, it, means, it means a lie, okay, just to catch everyone up. Now, if you're taking notes, desperate people make bad decisions. Desperate people make bad decisions. Let's continue on. I am a person, therefore... 
When I am desperate, I make bad decisions. See how that works? We're using logic, okay? <laughs> using logic here. It's easy to say, oh, absolutely, Pastor Kurt. When peop those people are desperate, they make bad decisions. Amen. I'm going I'm to tweet that to somebody else. Like, I'm texting that to, you know, my spouse right now. Because I want them to know when, they, when they're desperate, they just they make silly decisions. Well, we have to follow this logically. What, what this is saying is when people are desperate, they make bad decisions. I am a person. Therefore, when I am desperate, I make bad decisions. So again, I implore you, do not retreat. Desperate people in painful situations often causes us to pull away. And so we need to do the opposite. We need time with God, word and prayer. We need godly friends. We need a transparent church. We need all of those things to help us do what? Trust in God. That's what we need, God's word, prayer, and godly friends in a transparent church. The problem is, like I've stated, the result of David saying this to the priest is that this results in the death of 85 people. Desperate people make bad decisions. Whether he's lying or not, he's certainly being inconsiderate of the safety of Ahimelech, the priest. Verse 3. Now, now then, <clears throat> what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you have here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread if the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, truly women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy, even when on an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to, replace, to be replaced by hot bread on the day that it is taken away. Now, here's what happens. Uh, David is on the run. Uh, apparently, he left uh, with like just the clothes on his back. He didn't get any provisions. He didn't get a weapon. He just, he's so afraid of Saul, he just, he takes off. He doesn't have anything. And so he, he's there essentially starving, asking uh, for bread. And so the priest says, look, we don't have any regular bread. We don't, we don't have, like, this isn't a grocery store. That's not how we roll. We don't have any regular bread. See how I made that joke? That's how we roll. Anyway, Look, I'm a pastor, okay? We're not supposed to be funny. We, we, we teach Bible. We don't do comedy, okay? Cut me some slack. Now, here's what happens. On the Sabbath day, they bake 12 loaves of bread, okay? They take those 12 loaves of bread, and they place them on a table in the tabernacle, and it is an offering to the Lord, and they do that every Sabbath day. So every day, every seventh day, okay, they bake the bread and put it there. Well, the old bread that's been sitting there a week that goes to the priests, and the priests are like, thanks a lot, old bread. Um, so, th so that's what they get, but, but all that, that, that is still specifically that bread is supposed to go after it's done being used for the week. It's supposed to go specifically to the priests. All of this is outlined for us in Leviticus, and so the first thing that is strange is that the priest is willing to give it to David because David is not a priest. It's also strange because of the requirements that he puts on David, if the young man have kept themselves from women. Okay, that's, that's a bit odd. Now, it seems that while David has shown up alone, remember the priest was freaked out because David came by himself? It seems that um, he has some men kind of hanging out in another place. 
So some men have joined themselves to David. We're going to find more about, uh, about that in chapter 22. But he kind of dropped them off. They're hanging back. And then he goes to the priest. And so he's, he's getting bread for himself and, and for the men that are with him. And the priest wants to make sure that they are clean. Okay. So while the Bible repeatedly and consistently teaches that sex is a gift and a blessing from God, amen, somebody testify, under the old covenant, it would render you temporarily unclean. And so what David says is, when we go on a journey, or when, when me and my men do anything, I make sure that we are clean before the Lord. And so uh, the priest then gives him the bread. And so, you know, what's, what's up with this priest? Is, is the priest putting compassion ahead of ritual? You know, the, the priest is thinking, hey, these guys are starving. I know this bread is only supposed to go to the priests. Or does the priest know that David is God's anointed elect? And so he's giving him the bread uh, be, because he's God's anointed elect. Well, again, we don't know the priest's motive, but here is what we do know. There's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of details left out of this that we wish we would know. We, we want to know if David's lying or not. We want to know the motives of the priest. In just a moment, we want to know where the sword comes from or how the sword got there. We, we're not given those details, but here is what we do know. What we do know is that this bread was offered to God. So basically, this is God's bread, and God's bread is going to God's elect, despite the motives of the priest that, that we don't know. So God is providing for David in his time of desperation. Is David lying? Possibly. Is he being careless and inconsiderate and endangering the priest? Yes, absolutely. But God is still providing because God cares about his anointed. Church family, if you are in a place of desperation to answer the question from the beginning of the sermon, does God care? The answer is yes, God cares about David in his desperate situation, and this is God, through the priest, providing David what he needs in his time of desperation. This is the goodness of God. Listen very carefully. A thousand years later, on another Sabbath day, Jesus and his disciples were walking through a field, picking grain and eating it. You remember this from Mark 2? Who was here when we traveled through Mark? They're traveling through the field and the disciples are picking the heads of grain and they're crushing them in their hands and they're picking out the grains and they're eating. Remember what the Pharisees looking on said? Hey, you're not supposed to do that on the Sabbath. They're, they're harvesting grain, which is work. Therefore, they're working on the Sabbath and breaking the Sabbath commandment. Shame on them. You get them, Jesus. So the Pharisees are attacking Jesus' disciples. And what Jesus does is he goes exactly to 1 Samuel chapter 21. You remember this? Jesus says to the Pharisees, hey, you remember when David was hungry and he went in and he ate the bread that was only supposed to go to the priests? And the Pharisees kind of stand there looking stupid. And then Jesus says this, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. <laughs> Dude, Jesus is such a monster sometimes. He just, he just shut it down, right? He just, what, what did he mean there, right? What did he mean? The son of man is the Lord of Sabbath. Well, the son of man is his favorite title for himself. He, he repeatedly calls himself the son of man. So Jesus is saying, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, meaning I'm in charge of the Sabbath is, is exactly 
what Jesus was saying. Basically, Jesus tells them, you know why it was cool for David and his men to eat that bread? Well, because David was God's anointed and chosen king. You know why it's cool for me and my disciples to be crushing grain on the Sabbath? Because I'm in charge of the Sabbath and in charge of everything else. That's what Jesus was saying. Now, why is that good news for desperate people? Why is it good news that Jesus is in charge of everything, everywhere, because he's God? Why is that good news for desperate people? It's good news for desperate people because God has gotten you out of your most desperate situation already. Your most desperate situation is this. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's pretty desperate. You are a son of Satan. That's pretty desperate. You belonged to darkness. That's pretty desperate. You had no way to get yourself out of that. That's pretty desperate. You had no hope, no help, no nothing. That's pretty desperate. But Jesus Christ came fully God, fully man, lived the life that we should have lived, died the death that we should have died in our place for our sins so that we might, by placing our faith on him, be set free from our place of desperation. So if you're taking notes, on the cross, Jesus brings an end to our ultimate desperation. On the cross, Jesus brings an end. He shuts it down, brings an end to our ultimate desperation of being separated from God, of being in a place of the, feeling the wrath of God. He removes the wrath of God. He removes a wasted, pointless life. That's what Jesus does through his death on the cross. Let's move on. Verse 7, Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. We're introduced to this character, Doeg, and the story kind of moves on, and he's not mentioned in the whole rest of the chapter. He's kind of this shadowy figure who's hanging out while David and Ahimelech the priest are having their dialogue, and there's Doeg in the back. You know, he's, he's probably got like a, you know, black beard, a scar on his face, that, that type of character. And, and we'll, we'll see more about him in chapter 22. Let's move on. Then David said to Ahimelech, then have you here a spear or a sword at hand? For I brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, Behold, it is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take it, take it, for there is none here, uh, none but that here. And David said, there is none like that. Give it to me. So not only does he request some bread, uh, but here he requests a sword. And his excuse for asking for it, again, is kind of compounding this maybe lie, maybe not. Uh, you know, I, I was in such a hurry, I didn't get any food or weapons or really anything, so I need bread and a sword. Even though he had to leave in such haste that he didn't have time to get provisions and a sword, apparently on his mission he now has time to stop and get provisions and a sword. Not really sure. If David is lying, he's not very good at it. The truth, the truth of the matter is he's desperate, he needs food, and he needs some type of protection, and so he asks for 
some type of, of weapon. And so the priest says, yeah, we have the sword, the sword of Goliath. You remember him, the, the guy that you killed. And it's here uh, in the tabernacle wrapped in a cloth behind the linen ephod. The linen ephod was like this apron thing that they would wear when they would pray. And so apparently it's there in the temple as a trophy for God's faithfulness. And, and so he takes this one-of-a-kind sword. And again, we see that God is providing for him in the middle of his distress. How did the sword get there? We don't know. The last time we saw the sword, David had taken all of Goliath's armor, and you remember where he put it? In his tent, right? And so how did it get from David's tent all those years ago to this tabernacle in Nod? Don't know. We don't know. But, but we know that it's there, and David gets it. And so now he has provisions Uh, and he has protection. God has provided food and protection and provision for his anointed, but he is still not out of the woods yet. You remember when he ran from from Saul and he ran to Ramah where the priests, where the, the prophets were, and Saul kept sending men and then Saul came to get him himself? What, I mean, is that gonna be any different in Nod? As soon as somebody finds out, like maybe Doeg, who's hanging out in the background, As soon as he leaves and tells Saul where where David's at, you think Saul's going to come after him? Absolutely. So he can't stay there. He's got essentially nowhere to run. He's desperate. He's got no good options. And so let's see see what, what he does. Verse 10, and David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Now, who remembers where Goliath the Philistine is from. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in his dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands? Struck down thousands of who? Philistines. Philistines. He's He has just walked directly into the middle of enemy territory. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands. And and he put marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to the servants, behold, you see, this man is mad. Why have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen? That you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Talk about a desperate act from a desperate man. Not only did he kill their champion hero, Goliath, but he's constantly been at battle, leading the Israelite army into battle against the Philistines, killing them and winning battles. Not to mention, do you remember the bride price? Well, he just had to kill 200 of them and basically, in their minds, defile their bodies. So here he is, strolling into town, wearing the sword of their champion after killing them in battle and killing 2,000 or 200 of them and desecrating their bodies. So, so essentially, he, we're assuming he's hoping to hide out in enemy territory, you know, dye his hair, grow a mustache, go by a different name. But it doesn't go well for him. They discover him. They discover him. Do you see what what it said there? Um, And the servants of Achish said to him, is not this David? He's busted. He's totally busted. And then he's arrested, okay, 
He's arrested inside enemy territory. Is that desperate? That's a pretty desperate situation to be arrested inside enemy territory. And he's taken directly to the king. But here's his plan. Act crazy. <laughs> Plead insanity. And so that's exactly what he does, hoping to, to garner pity from them, right? If, if he's insane, if he's just totally crazy, like they're going to go, oh, he's not a threat to us, right? He lost it, right? He went cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. It's over, <laughs> you know? He's like scratching on the doors, you know, drooling on himself, acting all crazy. And I, I love what Achish says. Behold, you see this man is mad. Why have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen? Listen, we got enough crazy around here, right? Anybody feel like that? We got, we don't need any more crazy. We got enough crazy. Look, I'm surrounded by idiots. I don't need any more. That's essentially what, what Akish has to say. What we find in this text, again, is the steps of a desperate man moving to the priest, going into enemy territory, having to act crazy. This is, this is what we find. And so now I want to go back to where we started in the very beginning of our sermon. We, we read a psalm. Do you remember the psalm that we read? We read Psalm 56, which was the basis that I gave you for our solution to desperation, was it not? I said the solution to desperation is to trust in the Lord, and I base that argument off of Psalm 56. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to read the title, the title of Psalm 56. The title of Psalm 56 begins this way, to the choir master, according to the dove on the far-off terebinths a miktam of David. Basically, what all that means, we don't have time to go into it. Here's what that means. It means David wrote this song, okay? <laughs> of David. When did he write this? When the Philistines seized him in Gath. The psalm that we're about to read, David wrote when he was arrested directly in the middle of enemy territory when he was in the most desperate situation. And here's what it says. I want to read it in its entirety and then let us draw out some truth from it. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long and attacker oppresses me. Doesn't 1 Samuel chapter 21 now give so much more meaning and color to that? It's almost like this psalm comes alive now because we understand exactly what David was going through when he wrote it. All day long, an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long. For many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God, I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long, they endure my case. All their thoughts are against me or for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps, and they've waited for my life, for their crime. Will they escape in wrath? Cast down the peoples, O God. You kept count of my tossings or wanderings. You put my tears in a bottle. And they not 
in your book. Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thankful offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from failing, that I may walk before God in the light of life. So powerful. I want to draw out five truths or five thoughts from this psalm. Jot them down. Number one, we should expect suffering because we serve a suffering servant. This is God's anointed king. The king after God's own heart. The the main figure in the Old Testament who foreshadows the coming true king, Jesus. That's who this guy is. Listen, he's a bigger deal than me or you, okay? Let's just put that out there. He's a bigger deal. Yet look at his life. Look at how much he suffers. Look at his season of desperation. Look where he is. So when we suffer, when we experience this type of persecution, when we experience pain, when we're, when we're frustrated, when we're put down on, when people make fun of us, when your family makes fun of you, when people take advantage of you, we shouldn't go, what's this? Are you kidding me? I don't deserve this. We need to get in the mindset of we live in a sinful and broken world, and so suffering is going to come. It came for David. Not only did it come for David, it came for that whom which he foreshadowed, Christ himself. We serve and are to call to follow a guy who is betrayed, beaten, and murdered. And so if this teaches us anything, it teaches us that we should expect suffering because we serve a suffering servant. Number two, when I'm desperate, I must seek God in his word. Did you you see in verse four, in God, whose word I praise, in verse 10, in God whose word I praise twice in this psalm. David is going back and saying, I trust in God. I go to his word. I go to God's word. I go to God's word. What it, listen, what is in God's word? What is in God's word is God's promises. And when we are in times of desperation, it is the promises of God that we cling to. It is the promises of God that he's going to work all things together for good that we cling to. We hold on to God's word. And if you're anything like me in my seasons of desperation, I'm constantly, constantly running the scenarios in my head and I'm talking to myself and I'm talking to myself, I'm talking to myself. And most of it is lies. And what I need is to go back to God's word instead of listening to lies that I'm feeding myself in my times of desperation. I need to go back to God's word and put in truth and put in truth and put in truth to battle the lies in my times of desperation. Number three, God cares about your desperate situation. Verse eight and nine again, I'll try to make it through. You have kept count of my tossings or wanderings. Listen to how tender God is here with us. Listen to how tender this is. You put my tears in a bottle. That means every 
tear that has ever rolled down your cheek, God has taken account of that. He has stored them up, his soul with you where you are in that moment, feeling, feeling that pain with you. God, feeling the pain of your loss, feeling the pain of your desperation, feeling the pain of your loneliness as you weep and cry. God is there storing up those tears in a bottle, saying, I love you and I care. I care about your desperation. Number four, in times of desperation, preach the gospel to yourself. Look at verse, the end of verse four, the end of verse four. What can flesh do to me? End of verse 11. What can man do to me? These are rhetorical questions that he's saying out loud, essentially. He's saying them to who? Is he asking that question of God? God knows the answer to that question. He's preaching to who? Himself. He's saying, what, what can man do to me? In this time of desperation, what's the worst that Achish the king of Gath can do? What's the worst? Torture me and kill me. Okay, then what? I'll be with God. <laughs> so, I mean, like, if that's the worst that they can do, I mean, at the end of the day, he's still okay. God's promises are still true. And so he's preaching the gospel to himself. God loves me despite of what my limited perspective is. Here we are looking at our desperate situation with our limited perspective, but God has an ultimate or massive perspective and can see how he's going to work that situation out for good, whether we can see it or not. And it is because we belong to God. It is simply because of the gospel that we belong to God. And because we belong to him, it says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined that they would be his, and it is because of that that he works all things together for good. Amen. Number five, and I'm out of your hair. Growth happens out of the soil of desperation. Growth happens out of the soil of desperation. Would David be as skilled at trusting in the Lord in times of desperation if he didn't have to do it? If, if he was only just sitting around writing books about it, if he wasn't actually on the run from King Saul, if he didn't actually, uh, you know, he was starving, if he, if he actually had a sword and didn't really need one, if he wasn't actually detained in enemy territory and taken before the king, it was all of those times of desperation which taught him to trust in God. It was the soil of desperation that grew him into a man who could say, when I fear, I will place my trust in the Lord. You see, when you're in your times of, of, of desperation, when, when something is going on, don't just ask God to do something for you. Ask God to do something in you. When we're in our times of desperation, we're often saying, God, do something for me. Get me out of this. Come on, God. But we need to start asking God when we're in our times of desperation, not just to do something for us, but to do something in us, to grow something out of the soil of the desperation that we find ourselves in. So... I conclude with what I started with. Trust in the Lord. This solution has worked in the most desperate of situations. Therefore, 
it can work in yours. You see, in that garden, when Jesus was abandoned, his friends wouldn't even stay up to pray with him. They kept falling asleep, and Jesus, in his time of desperation, his most desperate moment, his most desperate hour, as he's sweating blood in desperation, Jesus calls out to the Father. Remember what he says? What what does he ask of God? Father, is there any way this cup can pass? Is there... Here's what he was saying. Is there any other way that we can save your children whom you love? Is there any other way than me going to the cross? This is Jesus' most desperate moment. And he calls out to the Father. Is there any other way? Is there any way this cup can pass for me? And you remember how he tags it. But not my will but yours be done. Jesus was saying in his time of desperation, I will put my trust in the Lord. I will put my trust in the Father. And he trusted the Father so much that he followed, he followed all the way. His face set like flint towards the cross as he marched down the Via Della Rosa on his way, his way of suffering all the way to the cross where he bled and he died to usher in the children of God. And all of that was through the vehicle of trusting God, trusting the Father in his desperation. I call on you this morning to trust, to trust, to trust, to trust in the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, our faith is weak, and so strengthen us that we may trust in you in our times of desperation. Oh God, give us the wisdom to see when those times of desperation come. Open our eyes that we may not retreat or run, but we would move inward into your word, inward into prayer, inward into our church family. We would cling to you and trust in you and not in ourselves. Father, I pray for those who are desperate this morning. I pray that they would hear the word of the Psalms, that God has put their tears in a bottle. May that minister to us this morning in the deep and broken places of our soul. Oh God, may Gospel Community Church be a people who trust, who trust in you. I ask these things in the mighty and the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.